the, the book that I've recommended in this series, What Made Maddie Run by Kate Fagan, there's a section when she gets into the developmental phases where she writes these words. Kids used to grow up in the neighborhood or on the block or in the parks playing games with other kids. These games had rules, but the kids themselves determined those rules, flexing their imaginations. Social scientists call these activities capture the flag, bike races, pick up baseball games, free play. And it's been steadily decreasing since the 1950s. Scientists have also noted a correlation between the decreasing amount of childhood free play, any play not directed by adults, and I would add corrupted by adults, and the increasing rates of anxiety and depression among kids. As free play decreases, anxiety increases If there's not direct correlation, there is causation. Considering that free play helps kids develop their sense of self, their problem-solving abilities, their ability to self-soothe, and their ability to play well with others, it is not a stretch to see why scientists believe the decrease in free play is affecting their mental health. And I want to say this right off with this as we're going deeper now into establishing the why of Players Box and then this project is the one of the priorities for me with this facility will be we want there to be amounts of free play. So please don't misunderstand that when it comes to arts, academics, and athletics, we're just going to have all of these structured things that's another thing for your family to go to. There will be structured training, but we're going to leverage this facility for a lot of free play too. Free painting, free dancing, free shooting baskets, free what you know, free math for, for kids who are into this, those games and learning again to... Love. I love that video this morning. I had a friend this morning. She told me, she said, I, I cried during that video because it took me back to the first time. She said, I was on the first soccer, girls soccer team in Ohio way back in the day. And I just, she said that day, I just loved playing soccer. And then as she got better at it, the love started going away because then it became a transaction. And the importance of free play is a part of this project. If you're new today, uh, if you're watching online, but you haven't been here, this is the third part of a series, I'm a Boxer, and it is about, it's centered around the why of why we're going to turn this building into a facility six days a week that is about play. And it is about training kids in artistic, academic, and athletic pressure, how to deal with that. But really, more than that, how to fall in love again with how God made them. And uh, we're going to initiate, on November 7th, a $4 million project to raise, to transform this facility, add an outdoor court and sand volleyball court, playground area, seating area for parents, that uh, will allow kids and parents to be trained in how to think and how to play again. And it's an ambitious project. I realize that. We know that uh, it's needed, though. The best time to plant a tree is when? 20 years ago. That's the best time to plant a tree. What's the second best time to plant a tree? Today. And we realize we wish we would have planted this tree 20 years ago. 
but now we're going to plan it today, and we want you to be a part of this. And on your seat, there should have been some cards near you. We want you to take that and hold that in the next few weeks in a prominent place and pray this prayer. We want you, first of all, to throw your heart over the pole, and the rest of you will follow. And so would you please take this, Southbrook, and invest your heart and soul in praying for what we can do to intervene with students and families in an era of mental health crisis. It is a crisis that Christ has the answers to. Um, Here's why this is important to me. And by the way, in the hallway adjacent on the east side of this room are all the plans. So if you haven't seen that, you can see how this room will be changed, how the main entrance will be turned into a mezzanine, a classroom, how the small theater will be changed into an arts theater, and then, of course, the outside that's really literally right behind this wall here. But, but I, you know, um, so Sherry and I came here 30 years ago, and, and I clearly, we clearly felt a call that when we said, God, we think this is the place where you want us, this church was, was brand new, and uh, we just fairly, clearly felt a call, I did, to, to be here 30 years. And January 29th at 12 p.m. of 2022 will be 30 years. Not that I've been keeping track of it. (laughs) But on that day, there will be a shout heard in Israel that no Israelite has ever heard of joy. Because uh, for me, it's a finish to a marathon. Because I wasn't equipped for doing this. I wasn't. Uh, I was not made. God chooses people who aren't made for things so that he gets the credit, not the person. So dang it. Uh, and so for a while, it is, I'm not as effective at church leadership as I used to be. Uh, for a while, I, in my mind, I've been thinking, okay, this, it's time to begin the process of turning this over to someone else. And then God brought the player's box thing around. For a strong uh, amount of time, I've sensed that all of our pain would come to a, a fruitful peak in our 60s and 70s if the Lord gives us that time. And though I'm only 40 right now, um, uh, the player's box is for me very critical because I do believe it's going to be Southbrook's main legacy to our community. I really do. I think it's going to be the thing. City Lights and Southbrook are going to be the ways that Dayton goes, man, we want that church to exist. We want that church to exist because it's doing so much good in this community. And so for me, uh, I fully intend on blowing through that marathon point, January 29th at 12 p.m. Did I mention that? Uh, And just keeping right on going and making sure we start this player's box thing for a long time. So we, we are like, we're all in on this and we want you to be. I want you to take that card and pray. The coach told the pole vaulter, son, throw your heart over the pole and the rest of you will follow. So we want you to lead your investment in being a boxer with your heart in prayer. And then pray about how your family can make the largest gift you have ever given to this church over three years. That's what we're asking. On November 7th, both digitally and in person, We'll take your cards. There's a card that we're going to be giving out beginning next week, both digitally and a real card. And then you can pray over that and say, here's what we can do. And just do something. Be a boxer. Have an ownership in this process where when we see kids' lives intercepted from the entropy of mental 
challenge, shall we say, that you are a part of it and uh, that you invested in this thing that I think is going to have a lot, a lot of impact on families' lives. It is not working out there, folks. It is not working. We had, in the last two weeks, three deaths that were by way of self-initiated that um, it's, it's, just, it's just painful. And this is the time to do this. This is the time to initiate a process where we say, Christ can change your life in a way that intercepts how you think. How you think. And so the irreducible minimum of this series is, is this statement right here. I'm a boxer. I'm learning who I am, P-L-A-Y, personality type, learning style, ability level, and yes factor. And I'm learning whose I am. I'm a beloved child of the most high God, the supreme value and worth, just as I am today. And we want kids in the second grade to be able to repeat that. We want them to be able to repeat as they grow up. I'm not just being told by a culture that tells me how to think or what to think. I'm being told in Christ how to think. Can you see me? Because I can't really see you as well I could a few <laughs> seconds ago. Good? I'm just going to keep on going, okay? I'm going to keep on going. And here, what we're doing in this series is giving you the, the scriptural underpinnings of this movement. And here is one of the definitive statements made in the New Testament by the Apostle Paul, the most influential Christian in the history of the, our faith, where he says these words, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. This is the, one of the most astounding statements that I am not the victim of my predispositions and my experiences. I am the victor through Christ, and I can learn to take my thoughts captive within the framework of the person of Jesus Christ. And I cannot emphasize this enough. Jesus does not call us to think about him. Do you know that? He calls us to think like him. And you can in the words of the New Testament, you can have the mind of Christ. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that exciting? Do you know you literally, every, time, every breath you take, you actually breathe in some of the molecules that Christ breathed in when he was walking the earth? And it's such a picture of the fact that we can then also think like he thought by doing what he did. And we want to grab that little guy or gal in the third grade and say, we're going to take this to another level. You're going to learn to think like Jesus. You're going to learn to think like Christ. The Message Bible reads on that, we use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies. The main philosophy of this American culture that we are intervening within is the philosophy that you can attain self through achievement. Our culture is very religious. It's just that our religion is achievement. Most Americans would rather their child get into Harvard than for heaven to get into their child. That's just the absolute truth. It's, it's, it's a religion of achievement, and that's a warped philosophy that when you make arts, academics, and athletics just a transactional endeavor and not a transformational endeavor, you ruin it. You ruin it. 
There are achievement values to arts, academics, and athletics. There are. But when they're reduced to that, warped philosophy. And so he says, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. I'm going to give the rest of my life to making sure we build something that says to that little guy or gal, we're going to show you how to fit the way you think into a life shaped by the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. That if you know truth through him, it will set you free. And you'll be able to play artistically, academically, and athletically, and you'll love it. Do you think, do you think kids need that, friends? Tell me something better to invest your life in, and I'll invest with you. Tell me something better to invest in than that, and, I'll, be, and I'll, I'll throw my resources that way. But there's not. And so here are two truths that I want you to just take with you today. Take a picture of these and then think about these, okay? Think about these two truths that emerge from this, that one verse. Number one, take your thoughts captive or your thoughts will take you captive. Take your thoughts captive or your thoughts will take you captive. How many of you are here? Because you know that's true. It's why you searched Christ all over again because you knew, uh, in the words of Zig Ziglar, we all need a checkup from the neck up to eliminate stinking thinking. There's just something wrong with the way we think. There is. We are broken as a culture. Because why? We don't know how to think. Culture will tell you what to think. It doesn't tell you how to think, especially with the mind of Christ. Emerson once said, thoughts rule the world. Solomon said, as a person thinks in his heart, so he becomes. In player's box, we teach, so a thought, reap an action. So an action, reap a habit. So a habit, reap a character. So a character, reap a destiny. You are your thought life. You tell me what you read. You tell me what you watch, what you listen to, how you talk, and what you talk about. I will tell you what your brain is going to be in five years. Because all you do is watch violent stuff and all you do is watch Fox News or CNN. If all you do is just talk about what's wrong with this world, no wonder your nickname is Grumpus Maximus, my friend. Because what you think about is what you become. And you either take your thoughts captive or they take you captive. Your destiny is how you think and what you think about. And if all you do is read, you know, racy novels and watch Game of Thrones and, I don't know, I'm not corrupt enough to know anything else, you know, that, uh, you, you know, but, you know, let me tell you this, let me tell you this, you know, I have the proof that our culture is messed up. The Bachelor is still on TV after like 15 years. Okay, we are messed up. We are messed up. Take your thoughts captive or your thoughts will take you captive. Number two, mental wealth produces mental health. That there is a paucity of mental health because there's a poverty of mental wealth. Now let's look at these two. Let's break these down. Number one, take your thoughts captive or your thoughts will take you captive. The brain does the bidding of the mind, not the other way around. For years we were taught that the mind is the byproduct of the brain. You were born with what you were born with, your set of intelligences, abilities, thinking patterns, neural connections, and what Levi said has now been validated in neuroscientific fact, and that is this. You are not ceramic. You're not. You are plastic neuroplasticity, epigenetics is, is the understanding that, you know, we used to think like after 25, your brain is what it is. That's not true. 
It's not true. And what the scriptures teach when it says you can take your thoughts captive and form them into a life shaped by Christ, that you can be transformed by the renewing of your mind is literally true, even for you old farts who are 61 and above. See, see where I cut that off right there? And this is, the, this is the amazing thing. Mind determines matter, not the other way around. Your life is not the byproduct of the matter you were born with. Your life is the byproduct of what happens to you and how you think about it and react to it. How you think about it and react to it. My dear friend, Gary Sweeten, who's here, he has a, a thing called a part. There is the activating event. There is the pessimism that you go into. There's anxiety that always results from pessimism. There is the rumination, not meditation, that we tend to do on it. And then, what's T stand for, Gary? Then you traumatize yourself. And it's just literally true. How many of us in America, we think through a cycle of adversity, the activating event, and then traumatizing self. Why? Because we don't know how to intercept and take those thoughts captive and say, no, 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 no. I'm not the result of what happens to me. I'm the result of how I think about what happens to me and what I do with it. And I'm going to be shaped by the fact that I am at my core of the resurrected Christ. That is the truest thing about me and the same power in the words of Romans 8 that, that raised Christ from the dead now lives in me also. Those songs that we sang today testify that if, like if you sing those songs that we sang earlier your mind will change your gray matter. Your mind will change your gray matter. As we think and imagine, we change the structure and functions of our brain. I'm gonna get to this in detail. What you can do beginning this week to make that happen, what you can literally do to make that happen, that, that you begin to process Matter does not control us. We control matter through our thinking and choosing. So here's how this works. Is I, for example, I, my body doesn't produce happy emotions for the most part. I was born with a disposition toward depression. That's just what I was born with. So here's what I can say. Well, you know, it's in my family genes and I'm just gonna be a depressed person. Or I can say, you know what? I have this disposition, but that's not my destiny. I can take that thought captive and I, I can begin intervention. That does not mean, like when I started taking thyroid medication, the grass was greener, the sky was bluer, the air was clearer because my thyroid hadn't been working right and it was exacerbating this depressive tendency. And the day I started taking that little pill, my life changed. It does not mean that I don't take medicine to help, but what it does also mean is I still have the capacity myself to take my thoughts captive. And for those of us who are born with certain tendencies, it's harder than other people. Some people are Pollyanna walking around. I wish I were that way. I'm not. And it's always hip hop happy day for Pollyanna. But many of us are not wired that way. That doesn't mean we're a victim of that. We all have a fixed set of genes in our chromosomes. You know that? We do. We do. We are born with a fixed set of genes. Which of those genes are active, how they are active, is determined by how we think and process our experiences. You literally can turn on and off genes in your brain. This is just so freaking exciting, isn't it? It really is. That the scriptures 
have been sitting, you know, humanity scales the mountain of knowledge, and when it gets to the top, the Bible has been sitting there the whole time waiting to be picked up. Waiting to be picked up. The gospel tells us basically three steps to this. The gospel, and we covered this last week if you missed our talk on Romans. We were made for love and optimism. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. I mean, the romance was flowing. You know, there there was just a vibe going on. And then what entered the picture? What entered the picture? Sin. And the gospel tells us that we were made for Adam and Eve before sin, but that sin infected us with a virus. That's one of the clearest ways to understand it. It distorted and destroyed human reality in a way that brings fear and pessimism. By the way, what does, what does our culture use to get votes and eyeballs? Fear and pessimism. That's what it uses. Why? Because it knows that we're living in this culture. Man, you want to get my attention? Just make me afraid and speak into my negativity. But in Christ, we can be restored to love and optimism. And the way the way Romans puts this is this is just such a great picture. Many people think, oh, just come to Jesus and he'll kind of improve your life a little bit. You know, your batting average will go up. But what the scriptures tell us is that those of us who are in Christ, by faith, we begin to activate that we are a new second Adam and Eve. That God has initiated through Christ a second creation. A new humanity. That's the claim. I know, it's audacious. So that we don't have to live in fear and pessimism. Now we can live with this truth. It really is in simplicity. My past is forgiven, and so the shame that used to keep me away from God no longer is relevant. My future is empowered. God's spirit lives in me, and I can, I can allow love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control to come in my life, and then my future is secure. No matter what happens to me, in the end, it's going to be okay. No matter what happens. Now, does that make any difference in how you think? It makes every difference in how you think. Every difference in how you think. And you can begin to say, through those realities, those three realities of past, present, and future, I can take my thoughts captive in this life being formed by the resurrected Christ. Um, Somebody, one scientist said this, the sins of the parents create a disposition, not a destiny. We used to think you are what you are. That's not true. What the gospel says has now been neuroscientifically validated. You are not, you are not just responsible. You're responsible, you're not responsible for those things you were predisposed with. You're not. You were just born with things that, that, oh man, many of us can say, I just wish I wasn't born this way. But you are responsible to be aware of those predispositions, evaluate them, and choose to eliminate them. I was born with a very addictive personality. So anybody who knows me knows that when I dig my teeth into something, that dog's not letting go of that bone. I mean, I'm all in. So the, the best decision I ever made in my life was the decision not to drink. I lit- the third best decision of my life after Jesus and Sherry was the decision not to drink. Good? We good? Okay. And why? It's because for me, one drink wouldn't have been in, would have been too many. A thousand wouldn't have been enough. I would be the world's best drinker. I would just I would not know how to stop. 
I literally had friends in high school who they would stick full beer, Miller beer cans under my seat so that when I stopped, the beer would roll out from under my seat because they couldn't get me to drink. You know why? It's because I'd seen my family just so messed up through alcohol. I, just, I wasn't brilliant, but I could at least look and go, man, I, I, don't want, I don't want that. There's no story about two brothers and their dad was an alcoholic and they were asked, the one was an alcoholic, the one wasn't, and the one who was an alcoholic was asked, why are you an alcoholic? And he said, because my father was. And the other one was asked, why are you not an alcoholic? And he said, because my father was. In other words, many of us are born with addictive predispositions. We're not responsible for that. We are responsible for being aware of them. And in the power of the resurrected Christ saying, I'm not a victim of how I was made. What my ancestors did affected how I was born. There's no doubt. And some of us are born on third base and others of us are born at the plate with two strikes on us. But that's what we're responsible for. What your mind creates, only your mind deletes. In other words, you have the capacity to take captive your thoughts. And if you don't, your thoughts will take you captive. Somebody presented this idea that is very similar to Gary's apart. Everything that happens to you has a thought, which creates an emotion, which creates an action, which creates a result. And those, are, those choices that you make are either productive or unproductive. And I can choose to say, you know what? This is why I love Dina Castor's book, Let Your Mind Run. Because on a, just a practical level, she says what changed her life was she used to think, oh man, my body's so tired. I don't feel like working out today. And she started to learn how to flip that with, man, I worked really hard yesterday. I don't feel like working out, but that means I could really grow today if I, if I run. And, and that cha- taking her thoughts captive as, a, as an Olympic marathoner began to change her life. Now, she's not a person of faith, but what she was discovering is a truth embedded in 2 Corinthians 10.5, that if you begin to take your thoughts captive and you, in the words of Philippians 4.8, begin to think whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy, and you think about these things, you begin to experience the God of peace. You begin to experience the God of peace. That's what he says. That he is with you. What resources do I have to fill my mind with the good news of Jesus Christ? This is the result of this second truth. Mental wealth produces mental health. In a culture that loves the bachelor, we're not very mentally wealthy. I mean, and and as you guys know, I'm a football fan. And the things that we just idolize in this culture are fun and they're wonderful, but football's never going to produce geniuses who are spiritually fit. It's not. And it's my favorite sport. I just love it. And, and I love so many people in it, but any football coach will tell you uh, it, it doesn't tend to produce mentally wealthy people. It doesn't in and of itself. But what I can do is this. As a person who has a depressive tendency, what resources do I have to fill my brain with the good thoughts of Christ? Now, at 60, I never thought that I would be in my most challenging phase of my life. Uh, There are a number of reasons for it. And so when somebody asks me how I'm doing, on any given day of the week, I'll go, man, I'm not doing well. But I have these tools and resources that I used to have. I'm doing well. I mean, in and of myself... I would have said, oh man, I've got so many things I gotta do this week. Oh my gosh, oh, this is terrible. Now I realize, 
man, I have so many opportunities to serve this week. God gives me manna from heaven enough for today. I don't have to worry about tomorrow. I've got these tools at my disposal and how I can take every thought captive and frame it within the power of Christ. That's what produces mental health. Now, the earlier we start with people on this, when they're little, little dudes and dudettes, the earlier we start, the more they develop the habits that lead to this. We are not called by God to have a mind about Christ. That's often what church does with kids. We're going to show you things to think about with Jesus. We're going to give you stories about Jesus. That's great. But do you know that's not what we're called to? We're called to have the mind of Christ. What if kids, as they're developing around here, they don't just think about Jesus, they have the mind of Jesus? Hmm. Will that make a difference? I think it will. I think it will. Dr. Caroline Leaf, there's a book that I really recommend. This is, I'm recommending a lot of books in this series, but this one is excellent, Switch on Your Brain. She's a Christian neuroscientist. So she, in an amazing way, shows the interconnectivity between the scriptures and neuroscientific discovery. And look at this, because this is something you could begin doing this week. Change takes place over time through continual persistence. This is the hard part. It's just, oh my gosh, I came to church today and my thinking changed. It doesn't work that way. I came to player's box for six weeks, and now I'm thinking different. It doesn't think that way. That's like going to the gym and doing one workout and thinking your body is transformed miraculously. It doesn't work that way. Change takes place over time. I'm rewiring my brain with my thoughts and emotions. Intervention of the mind changes the brain physically, chemically, structurally, and functionally. How does that, how does that happen? Look at this. this. This is it right here. Research shows that 5 to 16 minutes a day of focused, meditative capturing of thoughts shifts frontal brain states that are more likely to engage with the world. So here's is a, is a simple thing. It's simple, but it's not easy because it goes against our chaotic effect of our world and of our fallen souls. And that is every day you get quiet and you feel your fear and anxiety. What's causing that? You may have to write it down. And then you give that to Christ and say, Jesus, here, here it's to you. This is yours. And through your power, I realize that I am fearing the fact of, I am, what's causing me anxiety is stuff on my past. You've, you've absorbed that. What's, what's giving me anxiety is I don't, I'm not sure I have the resources to deal with my present but you have promised, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. I have overcome the world, you can overcome the world. I am concerned about what's gonna happen in the future with fill in the blank. But you, you, have said, you have said, I am with you to the very ends of the earth, and I am your shepherd, you shall not want. We could go on and on about how you begin to say, I'm gonna take this captive, and today has a lot of potential fear and pessimism in it, but I'm gonna take captive those thoughts and bring the love and the optimism of Christ into that. That's legitimate. If you do that, she calls it her 21-day detox plan. You begin to detox your brain, eliminate stinking thinking, and you begin to fill your mind with what is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, praiseworthy, Philippians 4.8. You literally start rewiring your brain. You literally 
start changing how your brain is connected. So this is the choice that we all have to make, and that is, am I going to, am I going to be a boxer? I'm learning my predispositions. I'm learning about how God wired me, but I'm more than that. I'm learning whose I am. We are going to uh, do a couple things as we close, and one of those is, is the whose I am is what communion's all about. Communion is about, I'm not what this world says I am. In my artistic, athletic, or academic, athletic and achievement, that's not who I am. I'm a beloved child of the Most High God with supreme value and worth just as I am today. My purchase price was the Son of God. That's what I was worth. And you begin to meditate on that. If you do that five to 16 minutes a day, it will change your brain, especially if you do it with feeling and emotion. The other thing we want you to do is not just the communion time, but we also want you to say, hey, I'm, I'm in, I'm a boxer. And so I think we still have these shirts that are available out there, these shirts that are left over. Take one of these and wear it because we want to flood Dayton with, what is that shirt? What does that mean? And you have a chance to describe to people, you know what? We are doing an initiative at our church that is all about helping students perform under pressure. And it's really just helping them understand who they are and whose they are. You wouldn't believe the discussions that that'll start. And uh, I had somebody tell me this week, they saw two people wearing it at Clifton Mill. They saw two people wearing the shirts at Clifton Mill. So that's the farthest away we have so far. I want you to, if you go to California this week, wear your I'm a boxer shirt. If you go to Australia, and I want you to win the title of the boxer shirt farthest away, okay? But we want you to wear them. Why? Because th- th- this, is, this is game on, friends. This is not a time for us to dilly-dally around and just play around at church. It's a time for us to say, we're gonna plant a tree that we wish we could have planted 20 years ago. But we're planting now. Because this is the opportunity we have to help kids understand who they are and whose they are. Let's pray. Father in heaven, your message that is at the core of this life that is way, truth, and freedom. It is so simple, it can be said in one-syllable words. God made us and loved us. We sinned and fell from God. But God, in his great love, sent his son to die on the cross for our sin. And now, if we yield our lives to him, he will cleanse our sin and give us grace and grant us life. The core tenets of the communion are so simple, even a child can understand them. Now wait, may we go knowing this is whose we are and live our lives this week as if we are playing. As if we are playing. Because you are our father and you love us no matter our past, no matter our present, no matter how we see our future. We are the second Adam and Eve and this is just such a cool thing. Thank you and we pray you bless Southbrook to make this happen. In Jesus' name and for his glory and honor. And everyone said, amen. Amen. We'll see you next week, everybody.